This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right, we're back. I'm Dr. Kara. This is That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Dave. Hey, Dr. Dave. Hello. Thanks for <laughs> taking my intro. <laughs> You, you've criticized my intro on the last like four intros. But it makes so, for a good intro. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but it's not about us today, just like every other episode. It's about someone else. Yes. And we're super pumped to have Dr. Danielle Watson here with us today. Hi, Dr. Danielle. Hi. All right. Hey, how's we, it going? We're doing well. We're, we, uh, we've had a good clinic day and we're ready to talk to you. We're excited to talk to you about a area of health that um, I agree with and you obviously agree with. It doesn't get enough mm-hmm. um, props and uh, recognition and maybe even research, which is the postpartum period. Um, yeah. So can you just introduce yourself to us? Let us know um, what you're up to and, and why this period of a woman's life really caught your attention as something that you wanted to focus on? Definitely. So um, I'm Dr. Danielle Watson. I practice, I focus in maternal health, especially the postpartum time. And honestly, this really caught my interest when I first started practicing and I was seeing a lot of menopausal and perimenopausal patients. And I started to notice a common theme with these patients. Um, And so when I was kind of doing their intake and would ask when something started, so many of them were telling me it started back when they had babies, and that was 20, 30 years ago. Um, so you know some woman with insomnia, and she had been experiencing insomnia since you know she had kids 30 years ago. And it happened for a diverse set of issues. Um, and for myself at the time, I was about uh, seven months pregnant with my first. <laughs> so it really, it really struck a chord with me because I was like, oh no. What does this mean for me too? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I kind of um, found myself asking these patients, you know, why haven't we checked into this in the last number of decades? And all of them would be like, oh, I was a mom. Of course, I was exhausted, or of course, I couldn't lose weight, or of course, I um, had anxiety, whatever their symptom was. Um, and I found myself saying every appointment, like being a mom isn't a diagnosis. So let's, you know, look into that. Um, And so um, I just found that coming up time and time again. And then, of course, a couple months later, I became a mom myself, started to notice gaps in postpartum care where naturopathic medicine was 
perfect for filling. Um, and so I started to kind of do that within my practice. And it was amazing, the results from my patients, because this time isn't highlighted very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this seems like an, another theme here already off the hop with like um, normalizing suboptimal is like a real common issue yeah. with lots of issues, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we see it a lot in in women's health, especially where we get things written off because we're we're women. Of course, you have mm-hmm. painful periods. Of course, mm-hmm. you have, you know, whatever that symptom is. And I, I find motherhood really kind of is an apex of that. We can write off everything with motherhood. You know, you right. you pee your pants, you lose your hair, you can't lose your weight. Like whatever the situation is, we say you're a mom. So, mm-hmm. um, and of course, motherhood has a lot to it. Pregnancy has a lot to it. It takes a lot physically, but it's not, it's not an excuse for every single issue. And of course, as naturopathic doctors would go for that, that root cause. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I was finding, you know, low chronic, low iron or anemia in a woman who had low mood and low energy or, you know, issues with their B12 or especially, you know, thyroid disease that had gone misdiagnosed since the postpartum time. And Mm -hmm. it was interesting that, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just their doctors, it was their, their girlfriends and their husbands and everybody in society had kind of said, like, oh, but you're a mom. Like, what did you expect? Like those kinds of things. Um, and so it become so um, natural for people to say that they didn't think they needed to look further um, until, of course, they were 50 and they were starting to experiencing the changes of menopause, which really complicated their um, the issues. So to me, I was like, as NDs, we can start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Do you find um, do you find it's hard to even convince? Um, maybe convince is a hard word, but convince, I, I find myself having to convince my patients sometimes that they, they shouldn't make excuses and deserve to feel better, right? Whether that's in menopause or in postpartum or, or whenever that, you know, they say, oh, but my labs are fine. It's just my age or it's in my, mm-hmm. it's genetics. Or of course I'm feeling this way because, you know, baby's not sleeping and, you know, I've just given birth or I have five kids or whatever. Do you, how, I'm just curious, like, do you have trouble sometimes convincing people that it, to not excuse it away? I definitely did with my, my menopausal patients. I found that, Mm. um, I, I think that decades of learning that, it was harder to say, no, 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 like this isn't something that you just, you get for having a kid. Um, whereas now I start, I start in pregnancy and I really start even sometimes in preconception and I start saying like, we're gunning for the fourth trimester. We are working for that as well. We are working for that healing. And so it's almost as though I can kind of start putting that, that idea into people's minds that we can feel well postpartum. And I'm talking to my pregnancy patients, you know, about what to expect, how to heal from that, what we'll be doing in that postpartum time. Um, so it's really preparing them for that. And I find those patients that, that go through that with me in their postpartum, they're ready for whatever comes. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be hard to talk to, you know, a mom who's four months postpartum and tell her that, you know, she deserves health as well. And it can be hard for them to commit to doing that. Um, but I think because they've been, you know, they've been suffering and experiencing um, a range of symptoms. If we give, you know, um, some empathy towards that and some solutions towards that, they're, they're ready and willing to listen. Um, especially if you happen to frame it as it can help your baby. <laughs> for sure. It sounds like getting older again, like same concept, like, oh, 
but I'm getting older, you know, I can't do this because I'm getting older, you know, like we, that normalizing uh, something that's just suboptimal. And I think that's a perfect chance for uh, naturopathic medicine to get in there. So definitely. So Danielle, I think we, we probably all, or at least moms can go back to that postpartum period and paint a very vivid felt sense picture of what that felt like. Like I, I can, I just, I could take myself back there very easily. Um, Yeah. And, but I'd love just to hear what you see. Um, What are, what does that postpartum, what are the challenges that you really see um, women are going through in that postpartum phase? Um, Like what it looks like from symptoms Mm -hmm. and then we'll get into it a little bit more um, naturopathically and physiologically too. Definitely. I feel like it's such a, a climax of many things happening at once for different women. It's really that they call it the, the matriescence, kind of like adolescence, but motherhood. We're, we're changing and we're growing and it's a new life stage. And I think in our society, we don't, we don't give that any sort of credence. We don't say that there's going to be a change to who you are as a person, you don't, you're not going through that life cycle and, and we are. Um, and so I think that sets moms up for kind of for failure. Um, and especially in North America, we have this, this like bounce back culture. And so we either have the woman that's, you know, back in her pre-pregnancy genes, like three days after giving birth and she's running her company, or we have the mom that needs her glass of wine by 4 PM and she can't like handle anything. Mm-hmm. And either way, those women are totally just, they're just set up for failure, right? Like we neither neither woman is able to, to achieve that. Um, and so we don't, we don't give women a good realistic view of what, what to expect after they're expecting, I guess. Um, and so I feel like that, 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 that change to occur, we don't, we don't talk about it enough. So it, it really sets us up for being like, whoa, what, what is happening to my body, to my brain, to my everything? Um, and, and that's, I think what we're seeing with the changes that we're just not prepared for it the way in, in pregnancy, we expect different changes to happen. Mm-hmm. So even if, if, uh, women don't always know, cause it, cause we're normalizing something that's suboptimal, like I keep saying, I'll try mm-hmm. and move on from it. But even if we're doing that, what's, what is the symptom that like most of your patients, uh, that you work with are coming in and, and they know there's something like wrong or they know there's something, uh, suboptimal about, about life or metrescence, which is a new word for me. Thank you very much. I like words. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what's, a, what's the most common thing they sort of, they come to you and in, then, you know, I think this happens with Kara too. Like they'll come with a certain issue and then Kara's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And there's like, oh yeah, all those other things, which I also thought were normal. Mm-hmm. But there is usually mm-hmm. one or two things that they've either, they either know themselves or someone has told them, you know, that, <laughs> that's not normal. We get that checked out. What's the, what's the sort of main point that people are coming to you with? I feel like people come and say, like, I, I just feel off. I feel tired. Um, it could be the weight. The weight is pretty common, um, common reason to kind of initiate an appointment. Um, for some women, it's the return of their period and their cycle has gotten worse. Um, to be honest, it can, it can be quite a cluster of different things. Um, but I think um, – it's interesting what will have seemed normal to them and it might depend on their friend circle. So fatigue might've been the most normal thing for them to experience, but for other women, they're like, of course I pee my pants every time I jump in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I find it can be a bit of a cluster. And, um, 
so what what are some of the things you know if we're, we're going to get into our naturopathic brains as you're looking at your patients and they're just feeling off not themselves things have changed in their body in their mood and their cycles and how they're feeling what's the perfect storm postpartum that because it's not one thing it, it really is a time mm-hmm. of a perfect storm of a lot of different factors that are happening mm-hmm. because it is a, a very big life change. So can you talk a little bit about what some of those factors are that just kind of all mesh together to, to create Definitely. this time where it could be positive, but in a lot of women, they're struggling. Definitely. I think the perfect storm is the best way to describe it. It's like yeah. our, our, you know, our hormones go from sky high during pregnancy or estrogen and progesterone. And within only three days postpartum, they plummet back down to their, their pre-pregnancy level. So they're going from super physiologic levels right back down to baseline. And I think a lot of us talk about them being, or at least um, patients will say, my hormones are still all over the place. And it's not necessarily that they're like fluctuating rapidly. It's more so just this like stark nosedive. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we know, you know, prolactin's rising, all these other things are happening later, but those ones aren't really the ones we're thinking of when we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. And so our hormones, hormones do that plummet. Um, with that, we know that the baby blues can come into, um, into play. We don't really know what causes that, but we know about 85% of women experience that. Um, and so for the first two weeks, your, your emotions can be quite changeable and quite extreme. Um, and then from, you know, deep down inside, um, we know that our immune system is going from that TH2 dominance during pregnancy and switching rapidly to a TH1 dominance, which in women who are susceptible, we can start seeing those autoimmune conditions happen, namely something like postpartum thyroiditis or something else coming up. And so it is really that, that rapid shift in immune system that occurs because progesterone has dropped off so much. <laughs> um, and, then, and then our brains, um, there's not very solid research on exactly what's happening. Um, But we see what they call synaptic pruning happening. So it's almost like preferentially deciding which, you know, uh, brain uh, connections we need and what we don't need. We also see areas of um, complex emotional judgment and regulation growing. Um, And then we see, um, you know, your white matter and gray matter, the ratio between the two changing. And so we know that women's brains are literally changing, which I think has a huge interplay with how they're feeling emotionally, how they're feeling, you know, able to focus on a task, able to focus on multiple tasks. Um, Because really we see women being able to hone in on a singular task, which we're not really allowed to do in that postpartum time. We're encouraged, you know, you're taking care of your kids, you're like taking care of the home, you might be getting back to do your job, depending on where you live, like it can be a lot going on, whereas your brain is literally meant to tap into just this newborn. Um, So it's kind of a hormonal, physiological, everything is changing. (laughs) Can we, uh, yeah, can we pause there for a minute? Because I feel like in this phase, you know, most people will think about the external factors, right? We will honor, oh, you're tired because baby's sleeping or you're trying to breastfeed or maybe you're a bit more isolated because you know, you're not going out with a newborn, you're not seeing your friends or you're protecting the baby. Mm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of changes to the external environment. Perhaps you're not eating the same, you can't exercise the same. All of those foundations yep. literally fall through. Um, yep. 
from that external perspective, but like, holy fuck, let's honor what our body just did. And I feel like that's, I love how you're like promoting this because that, that like epic thing that your body did and the physiological changes that you're Mm. like riding this rocket ship of, um, you know, someone postpartum would be given like food and sleep and stuff, but we don't talk about Mm. like just how the brain's changing and the hormones are changing. Um, we might send a woman to a counselor, but not honoring that those chemicals and those immune systems and the nervous system and everything is really (laughs) shifting. Definitely. I feel like we have, we've like this side of things where we chalk it up to, you know, you're, you're supposed to be able to push through and bounce back, but we don't talk about the, the necessary healing that goes on after, you know, pregnancy, which is really the most strenuous event on a person's like physiologically and then labor, which is akin to a marathon by most people, let alone the, the healing process and whatever happened to her. And then learning to breastfeed while like sleepless and bleeding and healing. It's, it's so many factors. And I feel like we, we often go with just being like, okay, here's some breastfeeding advice. Let's talk about newborn and let's give you a sits bath. And we ignore the huge amount that's going on otherwise. Danielle, how much of this do you think would be uh, mitigated or, or helped by, you know, having a really strong sort of social, uh, social uh, cooperative group of people to help you? Like uh, you, you could say, what do they say? Like a, it takes a village, whatever to, to raise. Yeah. Uh, it, like, do you think, <clears throat> cause a lot of people live, I think more alone than we did probably when we were like in tribes of 50 Mm -hmm. or whatever, when we evolved to Mm -hmm. however we are, Uh, although evolution is, seems to come to a standstill lately, but anyway, um, (laughs) like how much of, how much of this do you think may be helped by having a really good social support of like probably specifically other women um, Mm -hmm. in, in your group? I think it would be helped a lot. Um, I look at, when I was looking at the research, I kind of looked at traditional and cross-cultural postpartum practices to kind of inform what it is we can do. And what we see is like support being probably one of the number one factors in that it is typically, um, you know, woman to woman support, but it can also be um, the partner being involved or the whole community being involved. And we see that, you know, historically, but also cross-culturally even today from like, you know, places in Australia to places in South America, like it's, it's across the globe. Um, I kind of found like five-ish things that people do that help the most. Um, support mandated like rest period like um, you know the the Chinese culture being that first 40 days other cultures have variances around that time period Um, so the the support the mandated rest um, certain nutrition um, obviously we kind of want to replete those nutrients lost by pregnancy prepare for breastfeeding Um, and then they talk about you know care like um, whether it's like belly binding or moxa or another form of care, you know, it can even be just like your sits baths or your mother-in-law helping you to do this, that, or the other, those kinds of things. And then the fifth one I always thought was interesting. It's, it's the idea of heat and that it can be keeping the mother warm herself, like her room, helping her not to catch a draft. 
Um, in Chinese medicine, of course, if we think it's, um, they talk about the, the Ming men, the um, life gate being opened by childbirth, and it needs heat to close. In Ayurvedic medicine, they say the same sort of idea. And so it's heat in terms of keeping mom warm, but also heat in terms of her food. So spicy or ginger and things like that. And then, you know, warm, easy to digest things. Like in TCM, you would think soups and stews and oatmeal and things like that. And I feel like if we, if we meet some of those criteria and talk to patients about it so they can prepare for that before, you know, it's day one of a newborn. Um, they, they seem to fare so much better. And we've seen this for generations. And it's almost as though we've lost that kind of traditional knowledge that we used to have. Can you go back, can you go back to that? You, um, you said something about the, the partner having uh, yeah. importance. So like, this is something I haven't really thought about a lot. And I would usually think of like women's mm-hmm. health only. But what can, what can uh, the partner do to, to help in that postpartum time to make things better? Uh, go better I know I love that question um I feel like nowadays we're we're moving away from that that village and that mom to mom or woman to woman kind of care because you know families distance whatever the situation is and so it oftentimes it is partner that steps into that role um and so research is showing you know rates of postpartum depression um I mean of course dads can get postpartum depression as well but just even um, the family unit, the dad and the mom being able to be supportive of one another shows that mood is better. Um, there's a really cool study actually done, I think it was done at the U of T, it's at least in Ontario, and they were looking at um, breastfeeding programs during pregnancy geared to um, the mom and a, a female like help, like her mom or something, or the mom and the partner. And the mom and the partner seem to do just as well and it was very helpful and I feel like that's that informs itself to what I see most often in care it's it's the dad kind of trying to help with breastfeeding but he hasn't learned to anything about it because he never thought he needed to um, and so they were showing that that was actually improving breastfeeding rates um, but yeah it's neat that the support aspect coming from the dad can be so so huge um, I think it's in Vietnamese culture. They have a word for something that sounds like our postpartum depression. Traditionally, it was called sad heart. And it's when mom didn't feel like her husband gave her support or her partner gave her support. And so she started developing these symptoms that are exact mirror of how we label postpartum depression. And I think we see that's playing out as well with just how we would label postpartum depression kind of thing. So I think, I think dads can do a lot. And I think as we kind of look into this, like modern day postpartum care, it's, it's really needs to be that the dad is on or the partner is on board to helping with it. Um, and this is why I love naturopathic medicine. Cause we look at a <laughs> period, a medical diagnosis and people from so many different lenses. So you just crossed TCM, Ayurveda, um, uh, Vietnamese culture, um, hormones, and brain neuroscience, which is really like, that's how we think, which I wish people knew. Yeah. We have, that is what we, that is what we do. Like that is what we're good at is like looking at a topic from lots of different perspectives and knowing it's never just one, like knowing that each individual, those factors are probably all involved, but maybe one more than the other. Um, and if there's like a whole bunch of traditional <laughs> cultures that have independently come up with the same basic 
yes. uh, conclusion. Come on, there's something Thanks. to that. Don't yeah. throw it out and wait for some RCT. EBM. Yeah, yeah. You know, that is a form yeah. of and so since you're shout, giving a little shout out to the profession, I, yes. I'll join in there. I love your cross-cultural yeah. uh, uh, look at things because, you know, <laughs> traditionally those, those cultures, you know, wouldn't always have like been sharing information too much. So they, they yeah. all independently came up with these grossly similar ideas, which is so cool. Yeah. So it's Danielle, really um, because you are the mother doctor, <laughs> um, I would love to just hear, um, um, I loved that conversation about those, um, influences. Can we just talk a little bit about, you know, put the, the, the naturopathic doctor hat on, um, what kind of things are you doing in your clinic? Um, maybe a bit more from the medical side of things that you're seeing, you've mentioned iron deficiency and hormone changes. Yeah. Um, what are some really big players that you see happen over and over when it comes to the more medical or biological side that we can really help with? For sure. First, I would say just because we are the doctors of preventative care in a lot of ways, I start during pregnancy or better yet, preconception so that we have you know nutrient deficiencies accounted for which is some of the the biggest things that I see um, obviously helping with hormonal health something like PCOS can lend itself to issues with breastfeeding um, you know 10 months down the road um, so that can be important during the preconception phase to take into account anyways and so if we can the earlier we start the better our outcomes are or at least that's mm -hmm. what I have seen clinically um, so what I, I normally do is I normally see after gearing people up for pregnancy, I normally do um, my kind of uh, uh, pre-labor acupuncture for at least four weeks prior. And that's when I really give a lot of topics to my patients. Um, and then I like to see them at two weeks postpartum if possible, normally like with a virtual consult and then six weeks and then a couple months down the road. Um, I do see, I see mostly, mostly the, um, a lot of nutritional issues. So it could be um, low iron, it could be low vitamin B12, um, vitamin D, um, you know, e even issues with zinc or selenium or iodine, depending on what's going on. So kind of looking at all of those micronutrients and vitamins. Um, and then um, hormonally, I, if there were issues prior, they often get aggravated during this time, depending on how she is doing with, you know, if she has, if she's lactating, there's that lactational amenorrhea, so she might have a bit of a change there. The other big thing I see is uh, postpartum thyroiditis. Um, and so that's a, a similar to um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but exclusively in the postpartum time. It's fairly, fairly similar, like pathophysiologically, but um, that they believe it occurs in up to almost 25% of the postpartum patient uh, uh, population. So if almost a quarter of new moms are presenting with this, it's crazy how uh, undiagnosed it goes. And so it normally can correct itself within a year. Yep. I'm just going to say for um, people listening, it, how, would, how would they know that that might be happening? If, if they don't have a great naturopath who's looking at yeah. their thyroid, what would they see or yeah. how would they experience that? For sure. I think this one's super cool because I feel like I always say that diagnosis of motherhood, postpartum thyroiditis fits that like societal diagnosis of motherhood. And so it's, it's, it's fatigue, it's weight gain, it's hair loss, uh, low libido, uh, low mood, all of these like kind of classical symptoms, typically of hypothyroidism. 
Um, sometimes in the initial postpartum period, it can show some of those hyperthyroid signs. Mm -hmm. um, so things like weight loss and anxiety and heart palpitations and sweating. But that can also happen normally in the initial postpartum. And so what we typically see, um, this will get a little <laughs> uh, hard if you don't have a medical background, but because of that um, TH2 dominance during pregnancy and that rapid switch to TH1 and we're more at risk for these autoimmune conditions, it can take a bit for this to kind of start presenting itself and for that damage to occur to the thyroid. And so it's really interesting, and this is where I see such a gap in care, is that this is showing up classically later than the six-week postpartum checkup. And so these women have been cleared by their OB. They're all good. Maybe they're showing some signs of anxiety or some aspect of hyperthyroid, but they're not really showing enough to get tested. And then at four months postpartum, they're like, hey, what's wrong with me? I'm so tired. I'm so low mood. My hair is falling out. Um, and then they talk to their girlfriends and their girlfriends are like, well, you're a mom. So... Mm -hmm. And then they don't get tested. Um, and so I think these women were the women that were seeing me when they were 50-ish. Maybe they had in that time period been diagnosed with a thyroid issue, but sometimes not. And they were just at a loss for why they just couldn't lose the weight. That was the biggest one. Um, or they were just so depleted and so exhausted. Um, so that one comes up a lot. Um, and what I think is neat about that, we know as NDs, that those micronutrients and those vitamins are key players for thyroid health. And those can be so depleted by pregnancy and breastfeeding that it's kind of like this chicken and egg thing where everything storm is thing. bothering each other all at once. Yeah, perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say perfect storm. I think I even have that on like a presentation in my lecture slides on this. Oh, cool. <laughs> so do so these seem... Do these same uh, sort of symptoms happen, Danielle, in, in um, like traditional cultures? Because I'm just looking at the list. I'm like uh, fatigue, weight gain, low libido. I'm just thinking like, <clears throat> are those completely out of line with what nature would think is a good thing to be postpartum? Because, you know, probably yeah. it's most important that you have adequate weight to feed the child. Yeah. Uh, it's probably not the most active time of your life in terms of like looking after a really needy little primate, uh, probably yeah. not needed to have like the highest libido at that point in time. Although I'm leaving it open for Kara to say something racy again. I could get into that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just thinking like, what is it? Do you know anything from your, your like cross-cultural uh, view of things? If, if this sort of postpartum uh, thyroiditis is uh, less frequent in other cultures? Is it something like more Western culture? Or I know we didn't really, I didn't prepare you for this too much, but I was just looking at that list going, some of those things, um, mm. if it wasn't a thyroiditis, I would have thought oh, maybe a little extra weight gain, not bad, make some breast milk. I don't know. Like, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't. No, it's, it's good. I think um, we don't, I mean, we don't have data necessarily saying where it is the worst. Um, but I think that a lot of those cultures, they have that almost six-ish weeks, say, mandated rest period. And it's interesting, a lot of, especially um, the cultures within Asia, the Chinese culture, the Vietnamese or the Japanese, they almost have these, these rules for it. And if you break those rules, that has symptoms that come along with it. Mm -hmm. And those symptoms can be more exhaustion, more waking, all those kinds of aspects. Mm -hmm. um, so I wonder if, because we're not 
like rarely do you see a mom just naturally like on her own deciding to honor a six weeks mandated rest. It's not often possible or really given grace to, you know, most of us have someone visiting within like a half hour after the birth and you have relatives inundating you for like the next week kind of idea. Um, (laughs) So um, I don't think it's necessarily that we have data on it, but all of those practices were to guard against those issues. And I think we have to have a balance of knowing what is normal and what to be expected. Kind of like how we talk about our periods and our luteal phase, like you're naturally a little bit more fatigued. You might feel a little bit more bloated because of progesterone, but at the same time, you know, severe bloating that makes you change your pant size and like exhaustion because you can't go to work. Those aren't normal. Um, same kind of thing with the postpartum time. It's, it's expected your, you know, sleep cycles are all over the map. Of course, you're going to be fatigued. It's the moms who come see me when their child is eight months old and they're sleeping through the night. And they're like, even if I sleep for 12 hours, I'm not rested. Um, that's when we start to see that suboptimal health being written off. Well, like you have an eight month old, of course you're tired, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an aspect of normalizing what our bodies need to do physiologically. Cause like Kara said, it's the perfect storm. But also we, um, we want to not let things just be written off because of motherhood. Hopefully mm-hmm. that answers it a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it helps. I, I was just, I was just um, yeah, mm-hmm. shooting from the hip there. And another thing that came to mind, you just sort of brought it up, and it's a big thing that I, I uh, have renewed sort of uh, vigor in my research or I think is more and more important as I read more about it is sleep. And I was just wondering if what you know from uh, the postpartum period and, and what happens to women's brains and sleep um, as a kind of adaptation to being a new mother is, is, I mean, what's, what's normal, what's optimal, what's to be sort of expected from a, from a new mom in terms of her sleep and her brain and how that is an adaptation, having a new little primate around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it can depend. So there's a few things that we have naturally, it's almost safeguards. They show that like sleep deprivation can have an effect on the cardiovascular system, but something about estrogen seems to be very protective about it. And so it's almost as though we have these kind of safeguards in place. Um, and then, and then something like breastfeeding, when you're breastfeeding and when that letdown occurs and that prolactin gets released, you start to get oxytocin, you and baby start to feel sleepy. The thing is in Western culture, and of course we all have different ways that we want to raise our kids, which is totally fine. But within Western culture, we're often like, you know, put the baby in a separate room. They're in their own bassinet. They're in their own room, like bed. They're in their own room, sleep train, all those kinds of things. So physiologically, it would make more sense if we talked about like things like safe bed sharing. So both mom and baby mm-hmm. can get that rest. Um, and what they see when they've done sleep studies on breastfeeding moms who are co-sleeping is that sleep cycles begin to sync up and moms become really efficient with going through those sleep cycle stages and getting into that REM sleep if them and their baby are able to um, be near one another. The hard part comes when we are expected to sleep train and you have to walk down the hallway and do all these other things and then you're awake yeah, um, and then your body responds differently. <laughs> that, that almost kind of shows our a problem that we have in North America and it actually shows Mm -hmm. it it's coming out with COVID. Uh, Yeah. Why not? You couldn't couldn't hold back. No, but it's like we have zero tolerance. Like we have such a low tolerance for risk. Right. And we are scared shitless to 
sleep with their babies. Mm-hmm. And like, here's my yeah. caveat, because I don't want to get sued because there are ways to safely co-sleep with your baby. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, really, moms are really scared, like from every document they get yeah. from their gynecologist or books they're reading, that they can't co-sleep. And yet the risk yeah. of not co-sleeping might be at the, at the risk of not getting good sleep. Um, baby's health, mom's health. Yeah. And that really needs to be honored. And other uh, cultures and other parts of the world who mm-hmm. acknowledge more inherent risk, um, yeah, they 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 co-sleep. They've co-sleeped for thousands of years. The preceding comments, yeah. Dr. Caradineo, <laughs> do not constitute medical advice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so it's it's so true. <laughs> like, um, I feel like. Um, I think there's, there's been studies done and almost 80% of breastfeeding moms end up co-sleeping, if not accidentally, at some point. Mm-hmm. And so it can be important to have a conversation around what is safe, what is not, because there's definitely what's not. And the problem being is that a lot of moms end up uh, waking up, they go to the couch, and then they breastfeed, and then they accidentally fall asleep because mm-hmm. who wouldn't? They've been up every two hours, and sleeping on something like a couch is one of the most dangerous places. Um, that's where we often see the highest risk of something like SIDS. And so if we could talk about what is safe and what's not safe, because we're seeing in the research that women are doing it anyways, despite trying not to. Um, and they so feel guilty. It, it, Any yeah. of my friends who like, mm-hmm. they literally guilty say, oh yeah, I'm sleeping with my baby. Almost like it's like, yeah, uh, they shouldn't be doing it, but they're just so tired and they've given up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I, having. Yeah. Sorry, the, I talked to someone recently too. She said, like, it's just my natural instinct overcame. She's, yeah, they, I just, I yeah. had to. I was just like, which is so cool when we still have those great natural instincts. Sorry, I interrupted there, Danielle. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Um, I normally talk to patients about that that safe seven, they call it, so that it's like the bed's on the ground, it's a firm mattress, those kinds of things. That can just have that added. If you can put them in the bassinet, we know that's the safest. Um, but if things are coming up, you want to be sure, you know, you're not doing it in a, a recliner or a lazy boy or whatever it is you're nursing in. Cause that's, that's where we see it the most danger. But yeah, mm-hmm. that it seems to be that there's, there's the, what, whatever our bodies were kind of, uh, inherently shown to do and what we feel is kind of that instinctual aspect that seems to be protective against the intensity of that postpartum period. My God, you know, your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I just I just want to throw it in there because you you said that her um, Carrie, you mentioned her her website. Now I'm just going to throw it in there now because it seems like a fairly natural time because you just talked about it. is themotherdoctor.com, right? And um, yeah. uh, can you maybe tell us a little bit uh, like maybe why why that website name and and maybe some other things that you you uh, also do beyond uh, one-on-one practice? For sure, yeah. Um, I came up with that name because I made it my my Instagram handle, and I think it kind of just helped me have a bit of a direction for my care because I I, I did love treating my menopausal patients, um, but I really wanted to hone in on that motherhood time and really um, give that some light because I found oh this will be a tangent again, but I found um, you know our baby books and our baby apps they go from like pregnancy. To newborn care and then I was like as a mom myself I was like where's the where's the postpartum part what's happening mm-hmm. to my body that kind of thing um, so I wanted to fill in that gap and it was so neat putting it out online 
and seeing the responses I've gotten from moms who are like, oh my God, my brain is changing. Like I haven't ever been told this. And it's interesting, even in, in naturopathic school, we had such an incredible focus on maternal health. But I looked through my notes on my favorite course and it was like, we literally had, you know, red flags of postpartum and breastfeeding. And I was like, as NDs, there's this huge gap. Um, so I just kind of started putting things out online. I found that the easiest with, of course, a uh, new practice and a new baby at the same time. So that's kind of the huge reason I'm online so much. Um, but yeah, so other than one-to-one -one care, I do my Instagram. I have um, some courses for patients. Um, I have a, a new continuing education course um, that's fully online for practitioners. Um, it's, it's quite extensive. Obviously you can tell I talk a lot. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, about, <laughs> um, 10 and a half hours worth of content. It's 10.5 CEs through Pono. Awesome. Um, so that's, that's on there as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I went about getting this is it was online was such a great way to deliver this and start kind of putting this message out. Um, I also, I'm part of the Canadian perinatal mental health collaborative. I'm trying to have, um, are, uh, have a national strategy for um, perinatal mental health because right now we kind of have pockets of different levels of care and not a national strategy that really helps people so women are slipping through the cracks which is another area where we see a lot of issues postpartum with mental health. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I love your passion for this. <laughs> what would be one thing for the, our listeners? Let's let's say our listener who's listening, she's breastfeeding and listening to that naturopathic podcast right now, and she's in that postpartum period. What do you want her to know? Yeah, I really i want I want to know that um, she's valued too. It's it's um, as moms we we think of our babies and we put everything into perspective on how our baby is doing. But as as your doctor, I want you to know that you are valued too, and that can you know lend itself to how your baby is feeling. You know, a healthy mom helps a healthy baby thrive, and so just just knowing that uh, focusing your attention on yourself as well. It's really that. Um, you know, in an airplane where we say, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you give it to you, the person next to you. I think it's a really a time of that. And if we can care for mom, we can care for baby. So that's kind of my big thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it. And that's why women's health is important, right? Because take care, mm -hmm. take care of women, take care of moms and they take care of the world. So, um, exactly. Yeah. And, th and this really is the time when, um, you know, that's the first kind of birth of a mother, right? It's a, it's a really huge time. And I love that. Uh, I love you as a resource for practitioners and, and patients. I think we have a lot we can learn from you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, on the show and, uh, and teaching me a new word and a whole bunch of, uh, <laughs> really cool stuff. Like, um, obviously I'll never be a new mother. But I, I found there was so much, like there's so much wisdom with what you're talking about and so much passion, like Kara said. So uh, thanks so much for, for bringing all your, uh, your knowledge to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. All right, Doc. Take care. We'll see you soon. See ya.